Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We are going to spend 30 weeks going through the entire book of Romans. Oh, wow, you got, I, in my mind, I imagine everyone be like, ah, yeah, that's like, okay, <laughs> great. Um, that's awesome. It went, it went way better than I thought it was going to go. I was going to be like, but I even have it in my notes, but don't panic. Like, don't, you know, don't get, don't get too, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to be very strategic about it. So we're going to break it up into three sections. And so after each section, we're going to take like a month-long breather, okay? So we're not going to just be like, oh, like in Romans. I know somebody, well, I don't know them personally, but I know of a pastor and theologian that preached through the book of Romans 11 years. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to go 11 years. We'll go 30 weeks. But here's the deal. Um, by June 7th, we will finish Romans. And so the entire church would have gone through the entire book of Romans together. And here's what's really cool. We're going to break it up into three sections or three quarters. And the quarters are going to be married with the start of Connects. Yeah. And so as we start our Connects, we start a section of Romans in that this, you're going to get the book of Romans on Sundays being preached, but then during the week, you can be able to sit down and break that down and discuss it a little bit more. And so, uh, you know, one of my hearts uh, for the church that we planted is that we would be a church um, that would dive deep into God's word. And, uh, and so super excited about that. Um, and super excited that, again, we're going we're gonna to finish this entire book. I know we've already gone through the book of Mark um, and now we'll be going through the book of Romans. Now, we're calling this series, um, By Faith Alone, the greatest letter ever written. I know that's a little long, but it's called By Faith Alone, the greatest letter ever written. Um, Romans is actually a letter written by Paul to a church that's in Rome. And so I'm um, super excited about that. Now, if you're, if you're kind of like a Bible, maybe a nerd like me, um, you might enjoy church history, okay? And you might be familiar with a man that has been called the father of the Protestant Reformation. His name was Martin Luther. Now, what you might not know is how Martin Luther came to faith. Now, at the age of 21, it was said that he was walking on a road. He was traveling along a road, and it started to storm. And as he was walking, a lightning bolt literally hit just a few yards away from him. And Martin Luther, 21, not living right with God, amen, he was walking his road, and when the lightning bolt hit a few feet away from him, he ran for cover. And this is what Martin Luther actually said, that he actually in that moment cried, St. Anne, help me. St. Anne, help me. And he even said, I'll become a monk. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, right? Lord, if you just get me out of this, I will go to church. Some of you are here this Sunday because God got you out of something last week right? Um, but he says, St. Anne, help me. I'll become a monk. Um, and shortly after that, guess what? Luther sold everything and entered into a monastery. But listen, this petrifying fear of God never left him. Luther was tormented by the guilt of his sin. Um, he was constantly haunted by questions like, how can I be sure that I'm saved? 
Like, what, what confidence do I have? Like, what assurance can I get? What foundation can I stand on? How can I be sure that when I stand before a holy God that a terrible sinner like me will not be utterly destroyed? He was haunted by that. He was riddled with guilt. And it was questions like these that pushed him to try harder to, like, out-monk the other monks. Like he was like, man, God, I, 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 what can I do to prove to you? Like, what, what assurance can I stand on? How do I know I'll get in heaven? I know I'll be the best monk ever. And so he would try to out-monk the other monks. What do I mean by that? To prove his love, he would sleep without blankets on really cold nights. He'd whip himself for his sins. In fact, there's stories that he would get on his knees... <laughs> And he would begin to climb up the stairs of the monastery and stop at each stair praying and asking for forgiveness. He constantly, constantly prayed. He constantly, constantly fasted. He he hurt himself. He did everything he could because of the haunting question, how can I be sure that God has really forgiven me? What can I do to earn God's love? Then... One year, he decided to take his students through a study of the book of Romans. And when he got to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he read five words that started a revolution. Are you ready? These five words were this. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, this was not just a revolution for Luther, but this ultimately led to the Protestant Revolution, the Protestant Reformation. In fact, inspired church would not exist today if it wasn't for this uh, Protestant Reformation. Inspired church would not exist today if it were not for the words penned by Paul to the church of Rome, by faith alone. Now listen, by faith alone, not by how long I pray. Not by how well I know the Bible. Not by how many church services I attend. Not by how many good things that I've done in my life. But our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. This is the bedrock of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The core message of the book of Romans. And the power of God that both saves us and sanctifies us as we journey in our Christianity. This is why this book is so epic and so important. Many of you in here today have been Christians for a long time, but you feel like you still don't know, you still don't grasp the gospel, you still don't grasp your salvation. And I want to tell you, the book of Romans is all about taking you deeper. But let me tell you something about the book of Romans. Even if you're a non-believer, if you're just in here seeking today, you're not quite sure where you stand, the book of Romans also contains the message that you need to hear to know how beautiful our Savior is. And so before we jump into the initial start of this book. Can we say a prayer? Yes. Father, I need your help. I need your words, not my own. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take these words and that in every heart and mind in here, you would make it relevant. Uh, everyone will get something a little bit different. Holy Spirit, you'll highlight something a little bit different for everybody in here. But at the end of the day, the gospel will be the same and Jesus will be glorified. And I pray that you would do that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, before I get into... Uh, the first part of this book, again, we're going to spend 30 weeks here, okay? And so before I get into really the first couple of verses of this book, um, I want to say a little something about the city, about the church, and about the letter, the context or the background in which this book was written. Now, the city was ancient Rome. 
Ancient Rome was fashionable like Paris, fast-paced like New York, and cutting-edge like Dubai. Rome was the center of civilization in the entire ancient world with an odd mix of politics and paganism. But Rome was the city. So it's no surprise that the church at Rome was very diverse. And man, we love diverse churches. Our church is very diverse. In fact, when people come to our church, they always look around and say, man, I see so many different people from different demographics and from different backgrounds, and I love it. So the church at Rome was kind of like us, very diverse. It was filled with Jews converted from Judaism. It was filled with Gentiles converted from paganism. And as beautiful as this multiculturalism is, right? We love it, right? Multiculturalism is great, right? As beautiful as what it does cause tensions and disagreements, doesn't it? Anytime you bring different cultures, different preferences, different experiences into one place, everyone's like, look how beautiful this is. But internally, it causes so much pressure, so much tension, so much discomfort. And so the book of Romans is literally a book, a letter that's written to a diverse church struggling to be one in Christ. And so it's, it's to this church in that grand city that Paul writes what I believe is one of the greatest letters ever written, a letter that would break down the gospel and reveal to the church exactly how their salvation works. And the idea of doing that is twofold. Number one, that the church would love Jesus and love each other, that those two things would be the natural consequence of understanding your faith in Christ, that you would love Jesus and that you would love one another despite your differences. So my mission just for today, right? We got 30 weeks in this thing. Uh, Just for today is simple. I want to introduce you to the author. I want to introduce you to the messenger whose name is Paul. And then I want to introduce you to the messenger's message that radically transformed his life forever. And then we'll continue to get on this journey together. Super excited about it. So Romans chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go there. Um, we should have it up here for you as well. But if you do have your Bibles or your Bible apps, once you open those things up, fire them up, I'd love for you to follow along with me as well. Romans chapter 1, and we're just going to read today verses 1 through 7. Amen? A little quiet in here. Scripture reads like this, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Reads like this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, typically, when we read a scripture, we read a letter in the New Testament, we like to skip over the introductions, don't we? Uh, But this introduction, introduction in particular is so full. In fact, we could probably spend an entire month here. I promise we won't, but it is so full. Now, usually when we write a letter, 
we start with or we begin with to whom it is for, like dear John or dear Lisa or dear whoever it is, right? So usually we, we write a letter, we start with who it's for. But in the ancient world, the ancient letters began with who they were from. So in this case, you see Paul. And I'm deeply moved personally. I've been, as I've been studying this, I've personally been deeply impacted by the way the Apostle Paul has decided to introduce himself. Now, if you notice in his opening line, he, he has identified, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. He's identified himself as a slave. And that's crazy to me. He's saying, if you really want to know who I am, if you really want to know how I see myself, how I identify, if you really want to know what I think about myself in the core of my being, if you really want to know why I do what I do, if you really want to see why I say what I say, Paul says, it's because my life is not my own. My life is not my own. Before my title, before my position, before my past, before my calling, before my gifting, he says, I am a slave. Now, that doesn't sound exciting to somebody who's not a Christian. But Paul makes servant of Jesus the preeminent disposition of his heart. Now, look, before we go and give Paul too much credit here, <laughs> we should know what he already knew. Paul was a slave because Paul knew that he had been bought at a price. Paul was a slave because Paul knew that he was purchased. And this is the key to everything. Paul's slavery was motivated by a profound sense of gratitude. What do I mean by that? You see, Paul serves Christ only because Christ first served him. Make no mistake about it. Paul is not the initiator. This isn't hero worship. See, a lot of times, and as pastors, I know I can make this mistake. As leaders, we can make a mistake. And even as a church, we, we put people on pedestals. That's the pastor. He walks on water, right? That's the pastor. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. We put people on these high pedestals. This is what we love to do. We make heroes out of people. We hero worship. And don't get me wrong. You can have your favorite Bible character. And Paul is one of mine. You can admire people. At the end of the day, we are not here to hero worship. If Paul was in this congregation this morning, he's not here to get the credit. Yeah. So even though we admire him because he identifies as a slave or a servant of Christ, we must recognize that that admiration goes further than Paul. And Paul serves Jesus only because Jesus has first served him. Are you with me on that? His service is total devotion. His servanthood, his slavery, get this, is worship. Y'all thought worship was just the first 10 minutes of church, clapping your hands and singing a song. Yeah, I worship. No, worship is a lifestyle. It's your action. It's your response. Worship is a response. Paul's service, his total devotion is an act of worship. It's a worthy response to something or someone that has done something for him. I love how pastor and theologian John Piper puts it. He says it like this. Paul serves Christ Jesus in the power with which Christ Jesus serves him so that Christ gets the glory for his service, not Paul. This is both the beauty and the power of our own Christian life, guys. If you're a Christian in here and you call yourself a follower of Christ, 
Uh, and if you're not, no problem. This is something you could see and listen to. But if you are uh, someone who identifies as a Christian, this is the beauty and the power of our Christian life. Our devotion, our service, our commitment to love one another is an act of worship in response to what Christ has already done. In fact, anytime we do something in our own power outside of what Christ has already done, then we're guaranteed to be embittered. We're guaranteed to be frustrated. We're guaranteed to be tired because we're doing this for our glory and not the glory of Jesus Christ. Listen, Paul's power to serve only comes because he recognizes that he's been served by Christ. Are you with me? This is the difference between bitterness and joy. Delight or duty? I have to or I want to. When we see ourselves as servants of Christ, when we see ourselves as slaves of Christ, when we see ourselves as recipients of his great love, nobody will have to persuade us to gather as a community of believers. Nobody will have to entice us into serving one another. Nor will we... Um, have to convince you to share the gospel. Why? Because someone who has been truly moved by Christ can't help but move. Somebody who's been truly impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ gladly, willingly gives their life away. Now, I understand giving your life away is not something you would want to do normally in the flesh, but when the message of the gospel has hit you and you have understood what Christ has done for you, something radically changes, and giving your life away is something that you do in gladness as a response, as a worship. So even if today you're feeling a little, you're feeling just a little maybe isolated today, maybe, maybe you're feeling like you're just ready to give it all in. I like to humbly and gently rebuke you. And here's what I just simply want to say. Maybe it's because you've been putting your eyes on the wrong thing. And maybe it's because you've been doing all the things you've been doing for all the wrong reasons. And maybe it's time to center it back on the gospel and realize, like, Paul, man, I'm a slave, man. My life is not my own. I've been purchased at a cost, and it's the blood of Jesus. Let that motivate you. And can I just say this? We all get there. So this isn't the moment to like, yeah, someone's there. No, you have been there. We all get there. This is our Christian walk. So if you're there right now, that's okay, because in a couple of weeks, you won't be there, and the person next to you will be. This is what we do. It's the ebbs and flows of our Christianity. This is why we always must preach the gospel to ourselves. You never, you never get beyond the gospel. When you do get beyond the gospel, you're usually in trouble. So if you find yourself in a place right now, it's probably because somewhere you got beyond the gospel, let's just get right back into it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get right back in. We love y'all. Get right back in. This is something that I love about Paul. Even when Paul was talking about himself, he made it about Jesus. You ever met somebody that's like, oh, man, all I do is talk about themselves. You went out with somebody, hung out with somebody, maybe got a friend. I don't know how you're their friends, but you just have a, maybe God just gave you a special grace. Like, we all got that somebody that, man, they just, like, can I say something about myself today? Like, you go out to dinner or whatever, and it's just like, ooh, it's going to drain me, right? You're laughing because you know. Some of you who aren't laughing, that's you. Uh, Everyone laugh. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Lord, help me. But here's what I love about Paul is even when Paul was supposed to be introducing himself, he's actually making it all about Jesus. This is what Paul's saying. If you want to know something about me, I'm all about him. If you want to know something about me, I'm all about him. 
Now, if you thought his opening line was profound, his first word is a literal miracle. Now, no offense to those of you that are named Paul in here. Sorry, Paul. That word, that's not a very special name, right? Paul's like, Paul, there's nothing really cool about Paul. Um, again, no offense, Paul. I love you, bro. You're cool. Just the name is right. And if you're a parent who named your kid Paul, I get why you did it. But again, Paul by itself, like, well, that's not a miracle, Phil. You're doing too much. Um, but the writer of this letter didn't always go by Paul. Uh, in fact, the name that was given to him at birth was Saul. And let me explain some, something about Saul. Saul was proud. Saul um, was proud. He, he was educated. And uh, he was a Hebrew. And he was named after the first king of Israel. Any of you guys that really, like, rep your culture? No? Come on. I know some of y'all do. Like, one of my best friends, Chris Gonzalez, like, Puerto Rican. He'll let you know. From New York. You know, I mean, he's been in a, he's been in California for like 10 years, still, still speaking that, that accent, New York accent. I get it, bro. He's probably not even, he's probably not even in here. I love you, Chris. You know, but this is my Puerto Rican, like Puerto Ricans, y'all be wearing like the big old flag, like your whole shirt is a flag. Right. And it's, and some of you are looking at me really crazy. You must be, but Puerto Ricans like love that. Like, yeah, you're right. What? And I think that's, I think that's super, I think that's beautiful. But like, Paul is a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? He's a, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's a Jew of Jews. Like he, He's zealous for his people. He's zealous for his culture. He's zealous for Judaism. He's zealous for the religion. And as a result, Paul did horrible things to the Christian church. Saul did horrible things to the Christian church. He tried to destroy the Christian church. He persecuted the Christian church. He hunted the Christian church down. He also hated the Gentile world. In fact, he was the type of Jew that wouldn't even walk into Gentile lands. He wouldn't eat with a Gentile, wouldn't even look at a Gentile. Yet here he was, years later in his life, writing one of the greatest letters ever written to the world that he detested. Not calling himself Saul anymore, but calling himself Paul. And here's the miracle. You ready for the miracle? The Greek equivalent to the Hebrew name for Saul, for Paul, is, I'm sorry, to the Hebrew name Saul is Paul. In other words, as Paul's introducing himself, he's saying, Paul, a Gentile. What could radically transform somebody? You know what's crazy about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when the gospel of Jesus Christ hits you, you hang out with people you never hang out with. You say things you would have never said. You go to places you would have never gone to, church on a Sunday, and we're kicking off football. you got to be kidding me. I'm a Niner fan. We don't play the one. Praise God. But my point is, is when the gospel transforms you, you begin saying things, thinking things, hanging with people that you never would have hung out before. Listen to the miracles. Listen to the miracles. Saw a Jew now calling himself Paul, a Gentile. Listen to the miracle. Saw the educated aristocrat now calls himself a slave. How about this miracle? Saw the persecutor of Christians now calls Jesus Christ Lord. Now, just really quickly here, um, everything about his introduction is so opposite of the world. I don't know if you caught that at all. Uh, Let let me explain to you what I mean. Every once in a while, um, I'll be invited, I'll be asked to speak somewhere. Like, you know, will you come speak at this event, or will you come to this church, and will you speak? And 
And inevitably, the, the thing that's always asked, and for those of you that do a lot of speaking, it's always, well, your bio. Can you send me your bio? And I hate writing my own bio, right? It's like just bragging about yourself. You know, Philip, you know, uh, four years graduate at this school, got his BA at this school, started this, wrote this book. I didn't write a book. I'm just saying, like, you know, and again, like, to be honest with you guys, like, I get it. I get it. But, you know, the bio's like, where did you go to school? Like, what have you accomplished? Who, who have you worked for? What have you done? And the idea behind this is that the more you've accomplished, right, the more value people will place on what you have to say, right? The more weightier you are. And so if you have all of these accolades and, hey, I want to go check out this event because this speaker, he's been here. He's done this. He's written this book. He's, he's, he's walked with these people. The more weightier, the more value you place on somebody's conversation. You put value on what they have to say. Yet here is the Apostle Paul laying out his credentials for why you and I should be interested in this letter. And instead of trying to convince us of his value, he says, I'm a slave. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Can you imagine getting invited to speak somewhere? It's prestigious college, right? A commencement speech at Stanford. And a bio says, I'm nothing. I'm a slave. I'm nobody important. I'm the last person you should be inviting to this event. You see, in this world, that man wouldn't get invited anywhere. But to, us, to those of us who have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, when Paul says, I'm a slave, when he says, I'm nothing, when he says, look, I'm just a messenger who has been called to share with you a message that has radically transformed my life. We, we lean in to listen because there's something beautiful about the upside down kingdom because it doesn't do things the way we do them. You see, the world does it this way, but Christ does it this way. You see, to lead is to serve. And here Paul is saying, you want to know my credentials, why you should listen to this letter? Because I'm nobody. I'm no one. But I have been called by the one to share with you the message that has radically transformed my life forever. And I am not the same. I'm not who I used to be. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. This is Romans, right? This is Romans. It's Paul breaking down the greatest message in human history. It's Paul breaking down the greatest message in human history. It's Paul opening up and examining the greatest message in human history. It's him pulling the cover behind things that we as Christians, nominal, nominal Christians, even Christians that have been here for a long time, we just kind of, we kind of, yeah, I think I understand. But it's him pulling, opening up the hood and you looking inside of the greatest message ever given to humanity. This is what Paul is doing. And for the rest of our time together. I want to quickly look at that message. Paul lays it down. This whole book is going to be about the message. But here's what I want to do. He kind of introduces us to the message and gives us kind of some, a broad understanding of it. And so here's what I want to do for the rest of our time together. I want to quickly focus on four characteristics of this message. Four characteristics of this message. Again, this morning is all about the messenger and the message. notice in verse 1, Paul says, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. I'm called to be an apostle. The Greek word apostle means I've been sent out. In fact, in the Latin, it's miseo, mission. It's where we get missions. 
right? It's even where the word missile, think of the word missile, right? A missile is launched out. It's sent as Paul says, I am a slave of Jesus Christ, and I've been launched out as a weapon. I've been weaponized with love, of course. <laughs> Mrs. Paul, a slave, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and he says, set apart. You know the Greek word there is? Phariseed. Isn't that crazy? Did you know Pharisee means set apart? And so in the New Testament, those guys that really like to go back and forth with Jesus, the people that Jesus kind of ridiculed the most were the Pharisees. These were guys who knew the word, who understood the Old Testament, and who were always fighting with Jesus, trying to trip him up. Jesus would call them hypocrites because from their mouths they would say things, but their hearts weren't living what they were saying, right? But Pharisee means to be set apart. <laughs> and Paul used to be a Jewish Pharisee, but here he's saying, I'm no longer a Pharisee. For Judaism, he says, I've been Phariseed for the gospel. I've been Phariseed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, again, we're talking about four characteristics. I'll go quickly. Four characteristics about this gospel. And to be honest with you guys, I hope that in the next several Sundays during this sermon, really during this year, that we make a commitment to Sundays like never before. Make a commitment to connects. Like, look, look, no legalism, right? Like, I've been going, you know, some people, the connects understand. We had a little moment the other night. But here's, here's really, I really hope that you would say, you know what, Sundays are so valuable and so important. And yeah, you know, you go on your vacation, you love it, no condemnation, right? Have a good time. I'm not that pastor. But we're going to be breaking down a book that I feel like is so central to Christianity. It hurts my heart when Christians don't even understand the gospel. So four things. We're going to highlight four things about this message. Number one, are you ready? This message is God's good news. That's what Paul says. He says, I've been Phariseed. I've been set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel of God. The Greek word for good news, how we translate it is euangelion or glad tidings. Shout out to glad tidings at Hayward. Every time you drive by glad tidings, you will know it is the gospel. Glad tidings, good news. In the ancient world, how, where did Paul get this from? In the ancient world, whenever Rome was at war in a faraway place, the city waited anxiously to hear the result, the news from the front of the battle. And whenever Rome was victorious, a messenger carrying the message of victory would ride in declaring, Euangelion. Euangelion, the people would roar with joy as their anxieties were lifted and victory was celebrated. Paul says this is God's good news. This news belongs to God and it's news of a victory on your behalf. I want you to notice something. Notice Paul didn't call it good advice. <laughs> that would be too passive. Like eh, if you want, you know, some advice. That would be way too passive. That would be insinuating that you could take other advice and be okay. Paul says, this is good news. It's a matter of fact. It's direct. It's not good advice. It's not a good suggestion. How about this? Paul didn't say good instruction. You know, some of us still live our Christianity as if the gospel is good instruction. Like, well, if I just do this, 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 and this, and I, I'm terrible with instructions. So my baby has transformed me. So Philip has transformed me because now he gets all these toys. Thank God they make toys a little bit easier nowadays, right? So you have this big thing like, oh, you put that together. I was like, oh, it was really snapped on. It was easy, right? But nonetheless, like, I was petrified because he'd get all these toys. I'd have to call Ara or Roberto or Jamin or one of these guys that come over. I'm like, dude, it's just a toy. Let's put that thing together, right? And so but the idea was I was never really good with instructions. Um, but Paul didn't say this is good instructions. Like, 
going to say, well, do these things and then God will love you. Well, if you just do this and you do that, Paul says, no, 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 this isn't good advice. This isn't good instruction. He says, this is good news. Why? Because you don't have to do anything with good news, but receive it and celebrate it. <laughs> right? Right? You, don't, you don't have to do anything with good news, but receive it and celebrate it over and over again. Receive it and celebrate it. Receive it and celebrate it. This is God's good news. Number two, are you ready? We're going to go fast. Number one. This is God's good news. Number two, this is God's good news, Paul says, that was promised beforehand. He says this good news, he says, was promised beforehand. What do I mean by that? It was was promised. It was was prophesied. It was pre-planned out by God a long time ago. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. This isn't a new religion. Paul is telling the church at Rome, I'm not teaching you a new religion that just fresh came onto the scene. This is ancient. This is old. This has been promised and prophesied and pre-planned out by God. It's nothing new. Now, this may come as a shock to you, but Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. In fact, he didn't come to start anything new at all. Jesus came to finish and fulfill something that started a long time ago. In fact... Christianity grows naturally out of Judaism. The entire Old Testament is about God's people anticipating the arrival of God's deliverance in a very dramatic way. Have you ever sat at the edge of your seat watching a season finale? All right, now that we have Netflix, this may not make too much sense, right? Because some of you just wait till it's Netflix and you binge watch it, you're good. But to those of you, like, go back a little bit. When that didn't exist, this still happens today. You ever watch the season finale or something, and then it ended, and it just didn't give you any resolution? Right? We all know it's going to happen. We still watch it. Like, we all know that's what they do, right? They got to get you to come back. And it's just like, yo, I got to wait nine months for this. And possibly they're going to change directors, and it's going to stink the next season anyway, right? But nonetheless, have you ever been on the edge of your seat, like, watching your favorite show? It's the season finale, and it finishes on you, and it's like... This is the way the Old Testament ends. Do you know that? This is the way the Old Testament ends. This is exactly what it does. See, if you read it, you realize that it never gives you an ending. (laughs) You see, the story about Jesus, the story of the gospel, the good news, is the story of him finishing something he started a long time ago. Are you with me? So the, the gospel is God's gospel. It's God's good news. Number two, that good news is concerning, right? That good, I mean, that good news, it's been promised. It's been prophesied. It's not new. It's something that has been promised beforehand. Finally, number three, it's God's good news, promised beforehand. Are you ready for this? Concerning Jesus Christ. Concerning Jesus Christ. What's it about? It's about Jesus. No, no, no. Like, what? No, it is only about Jesus Christ, right? Our gospel is a personal gospel. This message is centered on a person. Our, our, our religion, if you want to call that, is centered on a person. What do I mean by that? I mean that our Christianity is not a way of life. It's not a religious system or a set of ethics. So if I be a Christian, man, I got to do these rules. That's not what Christianity is. In fact, it grieves me to hear Christians talk about their faith as if it were some kind of self-help philosophy. Like, well, ever since I became a Christian, I've been a better person. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not what Christianity, and I get it. I understand. Look, 
So part of me, I get it. I get it. You're a better person. But no, that's not what Jesus wants to do. He doesn't want to make you a better person. He wants to make you a new person. And you can't do that until you die and resurrect in Christ. Like, this is not about, well, if I just do a lot of good things, then I'll be accepted by God. No, that's earning your salvation. You can't earn it. The gospel isn't good instructions. It's good news. You must receive it and believe it. Are you with me? Jesus didn't die to make you better. He died to make you brand new. The gospel of God is all about Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And all of that transforms all of me, and all of that transforms all of history. And I want you to, I want you to know something. You're here this morning, you're struggling to really understand the gospel. Here's the goal. The goal isn't change. The goal is Jesus. And the more you make it about your change, the more you'll never really understand the power of the gospel. The moment you start thinking about it's about your change and less about it being Jesus, the moment you'll start to falter and fall. Because the power of the gospel is not in you being a good person. It's you focusing on the only one who is good, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, Paul says this, and this is going to be super important, and we're coming to a landing here in a minute. Paul says this. There are two things that you need to know about Jesus. Two things that you need to know about Jesus to be absolutely certain that your faith is secure. Right? There are two things that you need to know about Jesus. This is what Paul is saying. He says, number one, you need to believe. First, you must believe in Jesus' humiliation. If you're taking notes, this will be a great time to write that down. Number one is this. There are two things that you need to know. The gospel, God's good news, promised beforehand concerning Jesus. What about Jesus? There's two things you need to know about Jesus, Paul says. Number one, you need to believe in his humiliation. What do I mean by that? Jesus was God enfleshed. In other words, he was God who stepped down into our world and he put on flesh. He stepped down into our world and became fully man. Did you know that Jesus' humanity is of equal importance to us as his divinity is for our salvation? Jesus is saving us. He's dying in our place. He has become our substitution. Substitution. He was physical. He was embodied like us. Guess what? He was tempted like us. He felt pain like us. Paul is saying, for Christ to be a sufficient sacrifice on our behalf, we need his humanity just as much as we need his divinity. So when we say humiliation, some of you might think of humiliate, and it does come from that. But it's the idea that this God of glory, creator of the universe, would step down into his creation and put on flesh just like them. Can you, you can't talk about something more humiliating than that. For creator to walk with creation and for creator to allow creation to put him on a cross. Paul says there's two things you need to believe about this gospel. Number one, you need to believe in his humiliation. He says, but secondly, you also need to believe in his exaltation. His exaltation. Yes, Jesus suffered. Yes, he put on flesh. Yes, he died on the cross, but guess what? He didn't stay that way. It's crazy. I'm going to share something with you kind of crazy. In the early church, you know, Paul had, had, you know what Paul was struggling with with some of the church? He was struggling with trying to convince people that Jesus was actually fully man. 
because I thought that was funny. Let me back up here a little bit. I'm all, <laughs> right, right? Fully man? No? All right. <laughs> Listen, today we have no problem convincing people Jesus was a man. Are you with me? Right? It's the divinity part that we have a problem with. Be like, well, he was a man, but he wasn't God. Right? But back then, in the early church, there were people going around saying, no, he was God, but he wasn't really man. Like, he was, it was just a mirror, a shadow. He was really kind of this divine spark. These were some Gnostics, and people were saying that, no, he, he wasn't. Physical flesh is all sinful, and so there's no way he put any of that on. And they were trying to distort the theology of Christ, the Christology of Christ. But Paul says if you take away his humanity, then he's not an adequate substitution, which means he can't die for us. Because he wasn't tempted like us. He didn't understand pain. He didn't understand suffering. Are you with me? He knew no sin, but he went through everything you and I went through. But in today's world, we're not trying to convince people of his humanity. We're trying to convince people of his divinity. Paul says there's two things you need to know about Jesus in order to grasp the gospel. Number one, that he was fully human. But number two, that he was fully God. And Paul says, and you know what determined that? His resurrection proved he was who he said he was. Right? You know there's only three great monotheistic religions in the world, right? There's only three of them. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Did you know that? There's only three. So it kind of whittles down. Everyone's like, how do you know what God is? So many guys, really quick. There's only three great, monotheist, three, uh, three great monotheistic religions in the world. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So, okay, well, you whittle it down to three. Thanks, Phil, but how do you choose? Well, one boasts a God, a man who walked, who claimed to be God, and then was resurrected from the dead. And there was proof. There's no bones in a grave. It was an empty grave. Are you with me? Yeah. Many people witnessed, eyewitnessed, and saw him. Yeah. Yeah. And number three is there is proof that quickly and radically his followers changed and tore the world upside down. Wow. So why am I a Christian? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It proves his divinity. Why would God resurrect a man who made radical claims about himself to be God unless he was vindicating him and saying what he said was true. So you must believe in his humiliation, but you also must believe in his exaltation. (laughs) I love this. It's been said that the womb and the tomb declare who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Hear that? The womb and the tomb Tell us who Jesus is. The womb takes you back through Mary's ancestry, confirming his humanity. But the tomb takes you even further back as the son of God, confirming his divinity, because he was not in the tomb. And just like he was born in a womb in which no man laid, he resurrected from a tomb in which no man lays. Finally, I'm going to finish here. I'm going to invite my team to come up. Finally, it's God's good news, promised, prophesied to us beforehand concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Ready? Ready for this? This is the biggest part. Received by faith alone. Received by faith alone. Paul says, I've been commissioned to share the greatest message ever. And this message is not good instruction. It's not good advice. This message was prophesied. It's not new. It's ancient. And this message is about Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And guess what? If you want this message to radically impact you the way it has radically impacted me, 
All you have to do is believe by faith alone. By faith alone. Three words that changed everything. By faith alone. Listen. Because this message is all about Jesus, because our Christianity is not based on a set of behaviors, because our Christianity is not based on a good philosophy for life, but because our Christianity is personal, because our Christianity is all about a relationship with a living person. Are you ready for this? Trust is the only obedience that matters. Did you notice Paul says the obedience of trust? The obe- you, when you hear obedience, you immediately think about what? Obeying all these rules, right? I got to obey, 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 submit, do, 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 do. Paul says the only obedience that matters in this is your obedience to faith. So you might be sitting here today saying, what must I do to be saved? And Paul would say, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Trust Jesus. No, no, there's something else, Phil, right? Like, I got to do these things or these steps, and after I leave here, I live this way. No, 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 Obedience, yes, but not obedience to a bunch of rules. Obedience to Jesus. What do I, faith to Jesus, what does that mean? Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. This is not a philosophy. Trust him. This is not a good idea. Trust him. This is not a philosophy for living or a system or rules. It's trusting him. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We don't blindly trust, right? Evidence is crucial. Logic is necessary. And Paul will break the logic of the gospel down in Romans. But listen, if I spent every waking day of my married life always testing and questioning Jamila's love, that wouldn't be much of a relationship at all. Are you with me? Like if I spent every waking day and every waking moment of my life, I need to trust. I need, I need a tester. I need a tester. I need a test. Test, test more. Logic. Test, test, test. I need to test, test. Testing. Testing all the time. That wouldn't be much of a relationship. In fact, she would run for the hills. That's not a relationship. That's control. Wouldn't be a relationship at all. But watch. You ready for this? I stopped testing her when I started trusting her. I stopped testing her when I started trusting her. This is what genuine, loving relationship does. And this is what Jesus desires most from all of us. That's why Paul says, by faith alone. By faith alone. This thing only works if you trust Jesus. And I'm scared. Just trust me. I know. But I, I don't, I, just trust me. I know. I know what's best for you. Just trust me. Just trust in me. Trust in my life. Trust in my work. Trust in my death. Trust in my resurrection. Trust that I'm at the right-hand side of the Father right now, interceding on your behalf. Trust me. But I've been let down. I know. Trust me. People in my life have hurt me. I know the enemy is trying to take you from trust. Trust me. But what do I do? What do I do? I, I, I need to do something to do have a better life, live a better life. No. Trust me, trust me, trust me. What, what, what do I do next? Okay, I trust you. What do I do next? Keep trusting. No, no, no. But what do I do next? Keep trusting. Keep trusting. Wow. Christianity is so simple yet so, so difficult. <laughs> it's because it's about trusting, right? We just want a set of rules. Like, just, just give me what to do and I'll do it. But then that wouldn't be much of a relation. We'd be a bunch of robots. So Christianity is difficult, not because it's hard to understand, but because it's like that trust. Man, 
again, one of the most epic sermon series I feel like it's going to change the course of Inspire. It's going to change the way we do church. It's going to change the way that we look at membership. It's going to change the way you would see your Christianity. Greatest letter ever written by faith alone, by faith alone. I just pray if there's anyone in this room that feels far from God this morning and you came in here probably asking, what, what must I do to get closer? And the answer is simply this trust, trust and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in his death and in his, his life, death and resurrection, that he has paid the price for your sin. Trust him at his words. Trust him as he leads you through his spirit. Trust him as he invites you to go deeper. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You don't have a great high priest that doesn't understand what you've been through, but he's been tempted in every way, yet knew no sin. He's suffered. He's been rejected. He's been abandoned. He's been sinned against, yet he forgave, yet he loved. And so, Father, I just pray that the gospel, that we would accept, that we would receive, and that we would trust in the gospel. And I pray that as we go through this sermon series, it would change the trajectory of Inspire Church forever, that it would mark us, that we would be a different kind of church, and not that we're comparing, but God, we would be marked by your spirit, and we'd be marked in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Raise us up in the gospel, and help us to love you, and help us, Father, to carry ourselves as slaves of Christ, not because it's a negative thing, but because that is our worthy response to a beautiful Savior who we can trust. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We pray for our 49ers, and we just declare victory. Amen and amen. God bless y'all. Have a wonderful Sunday. Connects this week. We're going to, I believe we can post the addresses, take a picture, and we'll all put it all over social media. We love y'all. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.